Hello. If you are listening, then you are here on purpose. This is a podcast about fighting the system and staying rebellious while being incarcerated. The show takes the format of a recorded phone call between my twin brother, currently locked up in Alexandria, Virginia, and myself in the free world of Chicago. You may not have seen me do the quotes thing with my fingers, but if you are listening, then you probably know what I mean when I say that even if we are not locked up in a jail, we are not living in a free society. The so-called United States is a white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal oligarchy that is plummeting into fascism and scorching the earth. And we have to make total destroy and build a new vision in its place. I am Jason. And I am Jeremy. And we are Twin Trouble. And this is our first episode. So welcome. Jeremy, how are you? Chilling, man. I'm chilling. It's good to be here. Right, right. Do you want to do a couple of brief introductions for our listeners? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go first. My name is Jason. I live in Chicago. I'm a musician. I did 14 months at Vandalia Correctional Center in Southern Illinois for being part of Antifa, interrupting some neo-Nazis in Tinley Park in 2012. Yeah, that's basically it. And I'm Jeremy. Uh, I'm an anarchist, an abolitionist, uh, a prison wine connoisseur, also a musician, and I'm currently being held against my will in Alexandria, Virginia. Let's do a quick check-in, my brother. We're about to embark on a new podcast that deals with some extremely heavy themes, so we are going to want to make sure we are both doing okay as we can be given the situation. How have you been feeling lately? Well, I'm not happy. Uh, this is uh, – I didn't see this coming. You know, it's frustrating. Uh, it's really, I'm really outraged because I'm actually being held past my release date. You know, I had expected to be released to the halfway house a couple weeks ago, and then they sprung this at the last minute, this whole grand jury nonsense. But um, I'm also really excited to do this podcast with you because uh, I think the point of this is the reason why they do this whole prison thing is to basically they keep they keep people's voices sound. They want to shield the public from the day-to-day experiences of what people who are incarcerated are going through. And especially with this grand jury uh, stuff that they got going on now, they want to keep this whole process secret. I'm not going to take this sitting down or bent over. I'm standing up and I'm going to continue to speak my mind about what's going on. So I uh, hope that with these series of podcasts that we could uh, get something going. You know, we could start, set it off. That's right. That's what we're going to do. I'm very glad as well to be doing this podcast. We're going to be, you know, reestablishing bonds that we've been missing. I feel like since you've been since you've been arrested, I feel like half of me is kind of missing. And it's great that we get to do these phone calls. Hopefully, they'll be inspiring, entertaining, and amusing to for our listeners. Mm-hmm. So. We are going to begin by diving into struggles and political issues surrounding your ongoing situation, involving discussing anonymous WikiLeaks and the grand jury. But over the course of this podcast, we will discuss broader things like prison abolition, prison reform, crime as a concept, anarchy, communism, tax, food, and even our feelings. Our first episode is called Eight Years, Twelve Prisons, Nine States. We are recording this episode on Christmas Eve. This is a significant anniversary of certain exploits by the anonymous offshoots known as Lulsec and Antisec. That's right. So eight years ago, uh, it was Christmas Eve, uh, is when me and the other anonymous comrades, we unveiled the Straffer hack. We defaced the website, straffer.com, and uh, we took to Twitter to announce what we did, why we did it. You know, one of the things we did is besides, you know, eventually releasing all the emails, is that we uh, we actually had personal information to all their, their clients uh, and members, including credit card details. And so, you know, the previous month we had been expropriating their funds and making donations to various uh, charities and social justice groups, but you know, on Christmas Eve, uh, it's interesting because we took to Twitter and the live chat room and uh, said that unless the feds give Chelsea Manning a Christmas dinner of her choice 
from the free world, that we will begin releasing credit card information to us all Strapper's clients. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, of course, they didn't. Of course, they did. Chelsea Manning, of course, was incarcerated at the time uh, for releasing uh, uh, information and exposing about war crimes of the United States in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Guantanamo Bay, and so forth. So, you know, her work was really uh, inspirational to a lot of us at Anonymous, and so we, uh, you know, the Strapper Hack we uh, unveiled eight years ago was in part dedicated to her. The Strapper Hack is one of the hacks that I, in which I was charged and currently incarcerated for. Uh, you know, just a few months later, in March 5th, uh, 2012, is when I was arrested for these crimes. That's uh, right. eight years ago today. That was March 5th, when I believe our place was raided? Yep. Yeah, we, we were all just sitting around listening to music. Uh, I remember I had a blunt in my mouth at the time. And then in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they kicked the door. Well, they, they threw a flashbang grenade, and uh, yeah. everybody didn't know what the hell was going on. But everybody hit the floor, and they came in with assault weapons. They ran through that place like it was Rainbow Six. Yeah. yeah they had a no-knock, uh, anytime search. And in the search warrant, they said that they had received information that we were affiliated with, like, militant activism, and that that they had quoted uh, me in chat conversations saying that people should uh, uh, resist, blah, 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 to defend, defend a, a no-knock anytime search with the flashbangs and the assault weapons and all that stuff. You know how they do it. Right, right. So then what happened? Well, certainly, you know, I think it's interesting that I was arrested in Chicago, right? But I was I was prosecuted in the Southern District of New York, right? Uh, and then sent to a federal prison in East Southeastern Kentucky, right, for hacking a website that was based in Austin, Texas, right? So wow. and I've, been, I've been around a few places. Uh, we got 12 jails and 12 prisons. <laughs> Initially, uh, the first few days after I was arrested, I was at Kankakee County. Uh, Illinois, which is like the overflow for federal prisoners sometimes in the Chicago area. A couple days later, I was at MCC Chicago downtown for like a couple weeks in the shoe. Then I went to FTC Oklahoma City. That's the federal transit center, which basically everybody who's going through the federal system is going to go through, you know, the Oklahoma City at some point. The place is actually built on an airport. So when the plane Con Air lands, it, you literally walk into the jail. Wow. So I've been to OKC a few times. Um, so then, uh, then I went to MCC New York, where I was, of course, fighting my case for about a year and a half. After I got my time, I was in MDC uh, Brooklyn, FDC Philly, FCI Petersburg, USP Atlanta, until I finally made it to where I was designated to do my time at, which was FCI Manchester in Kentucky. That whole that whole couple of jails right there were all little holdovers and, and transits was you know several bus rides, dropping people off, picking people up at different jails and prisons along the way. It took about a month. That transferring is some extremely difficult times, too, in terms of, like, how much food you have. You have to sit still for hours at a time on the planes, on the buses, no talking. That's right. Uh, it's a really uncomfortable experience. Uh, you know, you're shackled uh, at the ankles. Uh, you got chains on the waist. Uh, you're cuffed, uh, and your cuffs are attached to the waist chains. And, is, you know, you're, often you're wearing what they call a paper suit, which is, like, basically, like, thin disposable like paper fiber
fibers that are like, you know, that way they can just give you a new one and just throw it away each trip. It's really cold during the winter, you know, when you are on the bus and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, and, and each each time I was transferred, uh, uh, you know, they often, uh, for prisoners who they believe to be some type of security risk, like if they have a history of violence or escape or whatever like that, they are given what they call the black box uh, on the handcuffs. Whoa. Um, yeah, the black box is, uh, they say it was developed by a federal, uh, former federal prisoner, like, uh, which is ridiculous. But um, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's basically like a piece of hard plastic metal thing that, like, attaches. You know, like how you're wearing handcuffs, it's got, like, a chain that connects the, the two. Right, cuffs. right. You got a little bit of mobility. You can move around a little bit, you know. We're talking about, like, six inches here. We're not talking I guess not a whole lot of mobility. But uh, No. But anyway, the black box actually attaches the two cuffs to each other, so the way, like, your hands are basically, like, attached to each other uh, parallel and can't, like, even move at an angle or anything. And then that, of course, is also attached to your waist chain, so... That's so hard to imagine. Yeah, and you're basically like that, like, the entire time you're being transferred. It's a whole-day process, you know, there's no rest. Uh, and of course, when you're being transferred, you can't, you know, there's no property, you're not, you're no commissary, you're just, you're just there. Like, oftentimes, it's just a baloney special, you know. Um, yeah. So anyway, I did some time at SCM Manchester, four years. Uh, then I actually did make it, after I behaved myself for about a year, to uh, eligible to go to a low security prison in Milan, Michigan, FCM Milan, where I was uh, to take the uh, drug program, RDF, federal drug program. Right. right. So yeah, I was there for a year. I got kicked out of RDF because uh, on some bogus circumstances, and then I picked up a assault on staff charge, did some more shoot time. Uh, also You've written about that. Yes, yeah, it was, uh, that's a whole story in and of itself. Uh, basically, it was a really abusive guard who just fabricated his charge. He uh, pushed a door. He was standing on the other side, and, and clearly it was an accident. Then he, he pushed me up against the wall and threatened me, blah, blah, blah. And then he actually uh, ended up writing me up for assault on staff. So I uh, did a couple months into – I went to uh, Oklahoma City, and then I was brought into the shoe there as well because of the uh, the, the new – Oh, it carried with you, staff. huh? Yeah, it you know it's one of those assaults on staff type of wrap on your jacket like really stays with you, like your entire bid. You know what I mean? Like they they yeah, like, like yeah. oh you're you know that. So yeah, uh, they so I mean, I was at the uh, the low security for a year until they boosted me back up to the medium. Right. And, uh, F- FCI Memphis, which is where I was at. Uh, you know I tried the drug program there. I was, you know, about to be re- thought I was going to be released from Memphis uh, a week or two ago. That's However, right. you were about to complete yeah. the contract. Yeah, you know, you get a year off if you complete the drug program. I had already done like 14 months of it at this point, including the first time at FCM Milan. But right. because they pulled me out to do this whole grand jury business, they actually put that year back on my sentence. So now, after even all this stuff is done, I still have like 14 months in the feds over my head. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So Sounds like they I'm, did that on purpose. Yeah, right. They waited all these years to... To finally go ahead and well, so they they presented you in front of the grand jury, and that's somehow technically different from being in the free world and issued a subpoena in front of a grand jury. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was at FCI Memphis when uh, the district attorney in this case filled out a uh, not what is normally like a writ subpoena, like a to a grand jury, like they do to somebody who's in the free world. But if you're a federal prisoner, they could just fill out one of these forms between the the district attorney and the Department of Justice, which just says that a request for production of a federal prisoner, like, and all they got to do is say where they want them, and then they just go and do it as if we're, like, a piece of inventory or something like that. Right. They just thumb it at any time, like, against our will. I was never even shown this form. You know, our, our lawyers made requests for this form, um, and the government has still refused to even show us what this form looked like. 
but the, the important difference here is that if, if a federal prisoner is incarcerated, uh, does not have the same type of due process rights as somebody in the free world does when they're uh, given a, a subpoena. Uh, they, they, uh, the government has less of a burden to show necessity, or the prisoner has less opportunity to challenge the subpoena in courts. And so, yeah, and I was brought from Memphis back to Oklahoma City, of course, and then finally I ended up here in Alexandria. Uh, you know, of course I thought I was going to be released a couple weeks ago, but as it turns out, they waited the entire nearly eight years I've been locked up before they decided to do this subpoena in front of a grand jury, which basically uh, I've been found in contempt of court for refusing to testify in front of the grand jury uh, investigating WikiLeaks. It's something that they knew that I had no intention on ever cooperating with them. I didn't cooperate in my federal case when I was sentenced to 10 years, and, and nor do I have any intention of cooperating now. Um, and so basically it's just a strategy to, to extend my release date and just more of a symbolic like act to like, like what, they, what me and, and Chelsea Manning represent. They want to send a message to the world. This is what happened. You know, this is what they're going to use every little legal loophole of the book um, to try to... Uh, extend our incarceration to deter others from possibly following our lead. We're going to go find greater detail of this contempt of the grand jury in our next episode. That's right. So in your most recent statement where you write about resisting the grand jury, you describe Alexandria as raggedy. Do you want to talk about what makes Alexandria pretty raggedy? Yeah, it's, it's a raggedy, uh, janky-ass county jail. It, it, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Like, you know, we're, you know, we're wearing the, the one-piece the, the ones with the jumpsuit. Um, I mean, you're located outside of D.C. William Truesdale Adult Detention Center. Yeah, which is not a federal facility, federal prison. They 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 do a mix of state and federal cases here. You know, it's county jail. You know what it's like. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Usually, county jails are often in the state system, but you were in the federal prison system, and somehow this Alexandria Detention Center is sort of kind of a fusion between both. You're actually outside of the ward of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, because you guys, uh, the facility sometimes houses people who have cases, and is that, is that correct? They have cases in the D.C.? Yeah, yeah, uh, Alexandria here, they do have federal cases. People are being prosecuted in federal court here in the Eastern District of Virginia. Um, I mean, it certainly is a strange experience, you know, having already been sentenced and expected to be released, having done, you know, nearly eight years, and then just being back in county jail amidst people who have, like, are freshly locked up, like, you know, been a couple weeks uh, waiting bail or, you know, going home soon, like, and here I am, like, having done all this time, like, not even sure when I'm going to be released at this point. You know, it, it really sucks, too, because, I'm, you know, after all these years, I've amassed quite a bit of uh, personal property, you know, literature, books, personal pictures, scrapbooks. Right, um, that is pretty frequent when you're transferred basically to any facility. You you can be, especially, like, if you're facing sort of discipline action like you were when you were in Manchester, but, you know, you, your property is liable to just disappear yeah. Sometimes you're not allowed to have certain types of property, whatever facility you're at, and especially for county jails, that's the sort of facility where they try to give you as little as possible. So yeah. You probably, yeah, you probably might. might yeah, there's certainly there's certainly meant numerous restrictions on personal property here in the county jail. Uh, whereas in the feds, um, well, even in the feds, when you're transferred, of course, you can only bring so many things with you. You know, the five books, no magazines. Uh, I think it's like 25 pictures. That type of stuff, uh, and if, like you said, if you're on a disciplinary transfer when you're leaving from the shoe, you certainly have no opportunity to go around the prison, you know, co collecting stuff and really right. packing your own property. Like your stuff's already bagged up, and after it's already been gone through, and you know, is ransacked by the cops. And so I just I've taken a lot of losses 
taking a lot of right. losses. Um, right. And here now it's like I'm back to scratch, from scratch. I have nothing, you know. Uh, I actually couldn't even. I tried to bring my legal work from SCI Memphis to here, and uh, it made it to Oklahoma, and it made uh, to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where the plane landed, and then I took a uh, like a three four hour van ride here to Virginia, but. They wouldn't even give me my legal work. I don't even know where it is right now. Like, I had a whole box of legal work. And the stuff what? I've collected over the years. Yeah, it's crazy. I had everything. Like, everything. Wow. Uh, notebooks, book notes. That, uh, that is, sounds like it's a violation of the constitutional right. You know, yeah, I'm fighting the case. case. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't even know where it's at. Like, there's no, I never got a receipt for it. Like, there's no explanation as to where it's at. Like, it's like, really? Like, I, I'm being yeah, denied, like, the, the uh, legal materials that from my original case. You might be able to file a grievance or something, but... You know how that goes sometimes, you know. Right. Yeah, so I'm basically starting from scratch here in Virginia uh, with nothing. Uh, and whatever, when I do leave here, I have to go back to the feds, back to FCI Memphis, and uh, I'm not going to, whatever I have here, I'm not going to be able to bring with me either. Yeah. What about the, the law library? Do you have access? Yeah, uh, see, that's the other thing. Um, you know, when I first got here, I was able to visit the law library once in a while preparing my case, but the actual law library has been closed here for a month. Like That means a whole month people haven't been able to go and do legal research or prepare their cases, which is really outrageous. Most people here are actually uh, pretrial defendants who, who are actually constitutionally guaranteed the right to have access to legal materials to prepare their case, uh, to do research and so forth, right? So it's just a, such an egregious uh, due process violation that the jail just without explanation uh, it's been closed for a month. There's like a little sign that says closed till further notice. Like, it's like, really? Um, a little sign. Seems to know what's going on. Like, another thing that kind of sucks about all county jails is the, the lack of sunlight and fresh air and, uh, of outside recreation. You know, uh, we're basically kept in this little unit uh, or this little cell uh, almost almost all the time. You know, here at Alexandria, they give you outside rec like every like two to three days, but all that basically means is like going to the roof and you're surrounded by concrete wall, and there's like a little great fence up top, right, and they give you like an hour. So and that's, that's our fresh air and sunlight, um, and that's as good as it gets, like, for outside recreation. Uh, yeah, whereas, you know, the, in the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights Standard Minimum Conditions of Confinement, they, they say you're supposed to get five hours of fresh air and sunlight a week. Like, five hours? Like, really? Like, that's yeah, all right. we get? So, you know, right. you know there's just so much so stuff much about the jails. I mean, kind of, you know, county jail is like that. I mean, you remember, uh, you know, I'm sure the county is like that. Cook County is like that too, right? Yeah, it is. You get, um, you know, a couple times a week, you have opportunity to go to either a gym or a yard, and it's very small, probably similar at any county jail you go. Um, they really want you to feel the heat. They really want you to feel punished. Right, and the lockdowns too, right? I mean, this place, you know, they, they, they don't need a reason to lock you down. Like, it could, this place is so janky. Every, any, every day it's like... If a staff member, you know, shows up late, or if uh, somebody uh, is going on an outside medical trip, uh, they lock you down. They lock the whole prison down. Like, uh, and and these cells are so small; they're not even bunk beds. Like, they got like a slab that you throw like a little ass man on, and then they have like a what they call a boat, like a piece of plastic that they just throw on the ground. Because these cells are really only built for one person, but uh, they put two people in the cell with this boat. So you know, you you're laying in the boat. Your elbows are touching the toilet. It's like, really? Yeah, right. That's basically like a plastic mattress on the floor. Yeah, and so these, these cells are too small for two people to really comfortably live in, uh, and then they lock you down all the time, like almost half the time sometimes in, in the, the general population units. And not to mention that a lot of people who are pre-trial have uh, a lot of special needs, 
uh, codependents and so forth or whatever psychology like or security they just will put you on solitary confinement administrative segregation anyways just just so they can be sure you know what I mean? so yeah exactly yeah it's it's like they punish you for having special needs even right and then you know then another thing is the visits here in the jail like you get 30 minute visits through the glass you through a phone like it's, really it's like, very humiliating really there's no reason like I guess it's different coming from, you know, it's a federal prison where the feds, they, you get contact visits. You have a yard where there's fresh air and sun that you go to several times a day. You know, you're I mean, you're allowed to get books in prison. Matter of fact, that's the other thing about this jail, Alexandria, is that uh, this is the only place I've ever been in to where you can't receive books from the outside. Like, you that's can't right. have any kind. Why? Of any kind. Of any kind. You know, not even a, you know, most places they have some type of restriction that says it must be sent from a bookstore, a publisher, or a book club, you know, something like Amazon or Books to Prisoners can send you books. Right. But here, they, they, you can't get it at all, period. Books or magazines, for that matter. There's no ways around that, like sending printouts or anything? Uh, well, yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, they actually, uh, it really depends on the deputy, but there's been a few cases where some of the deputies, they'll uh, claim that you can't even receive copies of a book. Matter of fact, I actually filed two administrative grievances against this jail for their restrictions on books and for them confiscating uh, what they said were copies of books and copies of newspapers, uh, which are just basically papers, you know, internet printouts, uh, which is basically indistinguishable from a handwritten letter anyways as far as a security introduction of contraband perspective. So, you know, there's really no need for it. It's just just another way to, for them to really restrict your access to information, uh, your ability to rehabilitate and self-educate. Uh, you know, I, we don't really need to go too much into detail about the reasons why books are useful for prisoners. I mean, it's, it's so obvious and self-evident and common sense. Like, books and newspapers and magazines are really what kept me going in all these years. Uh, it just shows that the idea that prisons have ever been for rehabilitation is a total fabrication. Right. And the court, the appeals court actually ruled against the Department of Corrections saying that, you know, Internet-generated uh, printout is no greater, like, threat to security as far as introduction of contraband or whatever other reason that they, there's no reason for them to ban that. So here they are in Alexandria uh, saying that you can't receive a copy of a book. Just one deputy here just making their own judgment call. Like, so, oh, this is a copy. You're just trying to get it. I was like, yeah, actually, the handbook doesn't say anything about copies of books. This is no book. Right. So I'm going to pursue that one all the way as well. And it's just like the little things like that, you know, um, like the the visits here. It's 30 minutes through glass, no contact, right, uh, which is really difficult for people who are coming, you know, federal cases who are coming from far away. And the food in county jail, you know, is notorious, right? Uh, yeah. Low quality. It's never enough. Awful. Um, you know, very, very rarely do they make whatever uh, – special needs being met for as far as nutrition or uh, vegan, uh, vegetarian, that's uh, out the window, religious uh, diets and so forth. Uh, you know, it's mainly Davis Carbus to death, uh, mystery meat. You know how it is. Yeah, it's slop. It truly is. We'll talk about that more in an episode because you're a foodie, I'm a foodie. I'm sure you could ta- testify to, you know, the kind of, you know, prison cooking I've actually, for the past month or two, I've uh, participated in the uh, uh, prisoner work program here at, at food service. You know, prisoners, we actually make the food, although, you know, they made me a cook, head chef, right? So I'm actually the one who prepares the evening meals uh, for the three, 400 people here at this jail. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, 
I'm restricted. I, I mean, I really do, do try because I know how bad food is in prison, uh, and so I really do try to. Uh, but however, I'm restricted by their recipe cards, uh, the quality of the ingredients that they give us. You know, uh, and and I could go endlessly on on and on about this. Uh, and and we do plan on going over, uh, you know, food in prison. You know, the commissary is too expensive. Like for example, the ramen soups are a dollar each. Right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Like really, like it's a prison staple. Like it's in, in the joint, like they cost twenty five cents. Like really, I mean, in, in like one of those big department stores, they probably get like twenty for two dollars. Here they're charging us a dollar a ramen soup. You know, I haven't had a ramen soup since I've here. I'm like, ain't no way in hell. Um, and they they are essential though. I have to say, I mean, the price is the same yeah. in Vandalia actually too, and it's like quarter, yeah. Yeah, and there's like little things that you you know miss, like uh, cause you know like small stuff like paper, nice pens. For arts and crafts, but there's restrictions on personal property. Uh, I mean, you know, the deal is different. Like, for example, in jail, since it's mostly pretrial, they really do turn the, the pressure up. They really want you to like experience as little freedom as possible, so the way people are stressing, that people are thinking, "Oh, well, this is what it's going to be like. I can't do, you know." Yeah, the, the, they, that's when they—that's the punitive right there. The they—they're the shit talking, the degradation, the just constant yep. disrespect. Yeah, that, yep. that's how they try to get you to make pleas. In fact, most uh, convictions are are made by plea agreements. You know, they overcharge you and then they talk you down. They talk you as they can lower exactly right. charges down. That's exactly so, right. And, and, then, so, yeah, and then, uh, the jail conditions themselves is uh, what causes one of the reasons why people plead guilty. They just want to get out. Like like they tell you, they arrest you for like felony weed or something like that, right? And uh, and you didn't, and you know that there was only like this happened actually happened to me like they had weed and like a pipe or something in my house one of those probation violation ones right and it wasn't even my pipe one house and I was in the county for a couple of weeks and they said well you could go home today if you plead guilty to misdemeanor possession of paraphernalia or you could sit in county for a couple more weeks while you fight the case right and everybody's like I'm just trying to get out I'm just trying to get out like, and so like guilty take yeah take that petty weed charge you know yeah. But it actually adds up because, you know, down the line, like when I was sentenced for my federal case on this bit, you know, they look back at every one of your convictions, and every one of your convictions adds a point here for criminal history, adds a point there for, you know, because I was on probation at the time, these fans, or that I had this many misdemeanor convictions, or that type of stuff. Now I'm in a different sentencing bracket, and if I if I would have had, you know, not if I wasn't in the category four of my uh, sentencing uh, criminal history, I would have had a significantly less sentence, which is in itself kind of like you're doing time twist and things. You're getting extra time for stuff that you've already done. And But, you know, that's the whole thing about jail is they want you people to plead guilty or cooperate so they get out of jail. When it's prison, the whole fuck is, like, a little bit different. Like, generally the guards kind of – I think there certainly are, you know, abusive guards, but they, they generally want to let people just do easy time and not cause conflict because, you know, at any moment something could blow, you know, it, it could pop off. And so they, right. they give you things like TVs or MP3 players, and you could wear your own sneakers and stuff like that. Like, so they just want people to be, like, content, like, right in circus. Yeah. Exactly. That's why all the Marvel films.
run you through my your routine. You know, what's your schedule like? What's your day to day like? Okay, well here, uh, you know, certainly um, doing time, you you get a schedule, a routine. It makes the time go faster if you try to occupy moments of your day. You know, I remember when I was in the joint, like I would know where I was going to be at any given moment. Like if you say, oh, where are you going to be at Tuesday at three? Oh, well, I would uh, just be leaving work and I would be heading to the whip hours. Like, what are you going to be doing on uh, Thursday at ten? It's like, okay, well, the lock is down at nine thirty, so I will probably be, re- you know, whatever. Right? So uh, here's no different. I mean, I don't know to try to try to fill up moments for day here in Alexandria. Like, well, you know, I I, I had started uh, in the food service. I work as a cook, so I work PM shift. Uh, I generally wake up at breakfast at seven thirty, and uh, I eat like usually like a handful of cereal or like a little juice or something, and then uh, I read the newspapers or I write letters. Is the first thing I do while I drink my morning coffee, a uh, uh, Keefe the yellow bag. <laughs> Which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is, is it what kind of coffee is it again? Keepy. Uh, oh keep yeah, the yellow bag. Yeah, the yellow bag. Yeah. Everybody knows about the yellow bag. Hate the company, love the coffee. It actually really is the best coffee the Colombian in jail. I, I've had Holders Instant Coffee, Maxwell House Instant Coffee, Taster's Choice. Keepy is really just good coffee. Anyway, so I sit there, drink instant coffee, and read the newspapers, and then I often work out uh, early, like around nine like 10 maybe, just so I could get something uh, together for uh, lunch, which they serve at 12.30 here. And I have a whole workout routine, like I usually do a three-day schedule uh, one day. Yeah. They have like a little weight, cable weight system here, which is really unusual. It's the only place I've been where there's like, you know, they got the TV, they got like a few chairs sitting around, and then you get yourselves, but there's like a little cable weight system, like in the in the unit. So you like walk two steps out of your room, and there's like a cable weight thing. You're like, whoa. Oh really? So, Whoa! Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. I mean, wow. so I guess that's that's one part of this joint. Uh, so <laughs> I guess the random uh, weight is like stations. Yeah, yeah. This wow. is just one cable weight thing. It's got like a flat bench and a shoulder rack, basically. Whole episode on uh, the the weights, you know, on the yeah. gyms. Well, I mean, working out is a really good stress reliever, and I kind of think about discipline, like eating and saving money and, and, you know, earning your meals by working out, that type of stuff. Anyway, so I do, like, an upper body thing, and then I do, like, a lower body, like, core, squat, abs, various calisthenics, stuff like that. I have a, have a, have a little circuit thing going on because, uh, you know, they don't – I usually, in the joint, I would run on the track. I like running and getting sun and all that, but we don't have that here, so I just do, like, a million jumping jacks. They used to have a stationary bike here, too, but they took it and broke it. It's been gone for, like, a month. So that kind of sucks. Some people do stuff like they run up and down the stairs. And, you know, people are really crafty. You know, I might do, like, burpees, that type of stuff, Navy Seals. You know, there's a million combinations of that I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so I work out, and then I go eat, and then I go to work, like, right away. They call me early because I'm a, a head chef in the PM shift, so I go in about, like, one. Cook for, like, four hours, and, you know, I end up leaving work around seven. I'm really tired usually about then, so I usually try to take, like, a power, power half hour, you know, quick little nap, which yeah. I love. Wake up, drink more coffee, and then, man, it's basically more newspapers and letters. That's really about it, actually. I've, I've, there's nothing really going on here. I mean, you know, it's deal. There's nothing here. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. books, it's books and newspapers. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, uh, you know, supporters have, you know, gotten me subscriptions to the newspaper. We can't get books or magazines, but we can get newspapers. So well, that's good. Uh, magazines? Yeah, so I, no magazines. Uh, new newsletters? Yeah, we, no, it's, I don't know. It's kind of borderline. <laughs> Yeah, like a like a pamphlet, you know, like right, right. printed I mean, and has a publisher. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, like it depends on the deputy, but also like, I think the vagueness is not 
to be all constitutional all that, but uh, you know, like we don't write the books and magazines. Like, there's no, you know, we can get newspapers though. So, anyways, I read the Tribune, uh, the Chicago Tribune, the New York Times. What, what about uh, the industrial worker? Do you think you would get that? Yeah, you know, uh, I get the Freedom Socialist. I haven't gotten the industrial worker yet. Uh, you know, I am of course a lobby. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I have uh, our old friend is printing up a couple, and uh, I'm going to uh, was to try inquiring about how to send you one. So I got a new one that covers the uh, strike in Chicago. Yeah, some of it's happened. I have been reading the. Are you talking about the teacher strike? Yeah. yeah. CCU, SEIU. Yeah, I've been reading about it. You know, of course, the Chicago Tribune's editorial board is kind of against it, but it's still nice to be able to read the paper and catch up on local news, even if it is like a relatively conservative paper for our city. You know, but. Right. So yeah, then I just work out, and they lock it down at eleven. I usually stay up for hours and read. Just reading. Is the house of lighting in the, the the reading you know situation? Do they shut the light off or something? You know, in the in the Dallas County jails, they don't. The light never really turns off all the way because they uh, often do checks. They walk around every fifteen minutes and make sure you know nothing funny is going on. Which I guess is like I mean, it's really annoying. You hear the keys. They flash the flashlight in the rooms and all that, and the lights never really go off. But I mean, it's it's to make sure you know people you know suicide and all that, which is right. higher in jail than it is in prison and all that. For um, sure. And then other than that, I do stuff like, I play chess. I play chess a lot. play uh, cards. play spades, of course. Yeah. Uh, all day. Just you all play day. dirty hearts? Yeah, I play dirty hearts for uh, water, push-ups, uh, that type of stuff. Battle the water. How about uh, like, some uh, Spider-Mans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, we didn't do Spider-Mans here. Uh, no. But they do like little stuff like that, though. They do uh, quack-quacks and... Uh, Dead cockroaches, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, the, the uh, dead cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, like if you lose the game, you get to get on the ground and, you know, rile your arms around like you're... Uh, yeah, yeah, like you've been hit by some cockroach or something. Dead cockroach. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the water is a really popular one because like, if you, I mean, you can only drink so many cups of water. And you can't... And no bathroom breaks. Playing hard, you lose a hand. No bathroom breaks. Yeah, right. No bathroom breaks. <laughs> yeah. So you better play. Play to win. And chess, of course. Uh, I'll be crushing them. I'll be punished them. Speed chess, gloves, dimes, all that. So yeah, that's basically it, man. I just play chess. Big question is, have you ever had a chance to play some chess with Chelsea Manning, who is actually locked up in the same facility as you are? Yeah, right. Uh, how about that? Eight years ago, talking about uh, freeing Chelsea Manning, uh, credit cards and all that, and then eight years later here in the same kind of jail. Yeah, uh, she is in this jail. She is probably less than 30 feet away from me in the different Wow. Unit. Wow. Uh, yeah, I have not ran into her. You know, like I said, they keep the units pretty separate, pretty isolated up. Uh, both of us were subpoenaed for the grand jury. Both of us are resisting. Wow. She's 30, 30 feet away. Way. Yeah, haven't been able to play chess with her, though. Maybe one yeah. day. Uh, it, it's actually a good chance that I might run into her here and there. You know, like, if I, we can't really look out the window. The door's window, they're blocked. But right. once in a while, like, when I go to work, I would, they would, like, have the door open, and you might see someone, that type of thing. They go to, like, legal visits, and I might be coming back from work, and I'm like, oh, well, hey, like, you run into people, so it's, it's not it's not hard to believe. She's been here for a while. Right, she's been, she's been in actually twice for yeah, two different yeah. grand juries about the same whistleblower work with WikiLeaks. We're going to have a whole episode in that podcast at, at minimum in the grand jury that both of you are currently facing. That's right. You know, the, the main thing about 
uh, grand jury is, is uh, besides the instrument to indict and imprison people, is that uh, they try to keep it secret. They try to keep word about what they're investigating, who they're investigating, you know, secret. They try to keep, because a lot of people do comply with grand juries. Of course, that's the main instrument in which they secure indictments by the use of, you know, cooperating witnesses. Um, right. Basically, so they, they try to keep uh, yeah. people's identity secret and all that. So both of us are resisting, and they held us in contempt of court, and that would last for the duration of the grand jury. Or there's a few legal options that we're, of course, exploring. The grumbles. Yeah, the grumbles is one that's coming up. A few other things. But yeah, see, it's 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 kind of hard to believe. I, you know, I'm asked a lot because uh, like people here, you know, the first in the case, and they're like, they're like, wow, okay, you got DUI, you got a carjacking, whatever. So and I was like, yeah, I already, uh, I'm already eight years in on this sentence. Like, oh, <laughs> that's, 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 that's like a shock right there, for real. Yeah, like, but actually, it's, it's the people in Spain are doing a long time, long time. It's really terrible, uh, long stretches. Um, but yeah, to to come to a pretrial jail where everybody's fresh in the case, it definitely feels out of place. And then, of course, the reasons why we're locked up too is is ridiculous. When you explain to people, like, wait, wait, what? You was <laughs> it's like you, people think like all kinds of things like well, you have a Fifth Amendment right or oh, you don't have to say anything. He's like, you're right. You don't have you have the personal freedom to refuse always. That's not something they could legislate. By you. Like and yeah, the, you know, the judges, the prosecutors will be quoting some laws saying, well, it's a, actually an Anglo history. Uh, you know, back to the era of kings and queens where you owe the government where you uh, serve. <laughs> Wait, the who, who made that argument? There was someone. Oh, uh, it's. Yeah, there's, it's in various court rulings that say that it's a, a legal tradition. Uh, you know, the, the actual statute says that uh, citizens have an obligation uh, to comply with a grand jury subpoena and that that if a recalcitrant witness uh, refuses to cooperate, they could be uh, held in contempt of court and uh, contempt or detained for the duration of the grand jury, blah, blah, blah. So basically that's what's happening. And this is the thing I want to bring up. You know, and I do want to go into... Uh, more detail of this grand jury thing in our next episode, uh, yeah. because I, I I'm not bound by secrecy. You know, the lawyers and the courts and the prosecutors are bound by secrecy. They're not. They listen. Like this is something that I experienced. This is something I want to tell the world what they're doing. You know, uh, right. and so I'm I'm going to be doing exactly that. Right. And uh, it's especially ironic considering uh, something that's happening in the world today, which of course is all over the news. Trump's impeachment. Ah. <laughs> Right, so you know, there's so much to say about it. You know, I was incarcerated for his entire administration so far. Uh, you know, prisoners can't vote. Prisoners can't, you know, really have no voice in this matter. I mean, you know, in many states, even if you're released felon, you can't vote. But regardless of the electoral process, I want to uh, focus in on one aspect of this impeachment proceedings, and that's the fact that Trump himself, you know, he was his tax records were subpoenaed before a criminal grand jury investigation, and he's bucking, right? And so right. it's encouraging all his, his, his crooks, his mob fellows to Yeah, he has lawsuits himself. He's suing for them to not be investigated. Yep. And it's actually uh, going to be heard by the Supreme Court, a grand jury uh, subpoena for his tax records, and one of his uh, the article uh, articles of impeachment is his uh, contempt of Congress, which is essentially equivalent to a grand jury subpoena, but it's not in front of a criminal grand jury; it's in front of Congress, uh, where he's encouraging, he's uh, instructing like his people from test. He's encouraging people to not to testify and all that stuff like that, right? right. But the thing about it is, like, very rarely do any of them go to jail for resisting or uh, refusing to comply with this grand jury subpoena, right? Yeah, now, you are. As, 
right, here we are in jail. Like, are you serious? Like, this guy is like so, so, so many conflict of interest, so many, so much corruption, so much abuse of power, and and to the point of where, like, even even like the FBI, like, and I want to put this out, like, a lot of people maybe are putting hope and faith in like the FBI or the Democratic Party and holding these people accountable. Like, and I have no illusions. You know that these people are on our side whatsoever. Like people talk about, oh, the Mueller report is going to save us. Like, listen, man, Robert Mueller is an FBI director, right? The FBI has always been a tool of repression and uh, social control, uh, uh, racist uh, criminal incarcerations, the war on drugs, uh, political repression. It just goes on right. and on and on. It's like, so right. don't count on the don't count on these people to save us. You know, it's like the type of solutions we're looking for can't be found in their courts, can't be found in their ballot box. Wow. And the basis, the basis of which. Trump is saying is uh, that he uh, doesn't have to comply with his grand jury. Is that he has executive privilege? His lawyers say that well, he's the president. The articles in the Constitution say he could do whatever he wants. Because yeah. they say he can't be sitting president, right? So he's. Like, I mean, they even made this point before he was elected. But they, they remade this point when arguing why he shouldn't have to comply with subpoena. Is that the president could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they can't be arrested or even investigated for that crime? It's like. Really? Like, yeah, I know. It's, I the, the boisterous, that's the most boisterous, murderous, dictatorship, fascist shit you could say, you know? Yeah. And that just goes to the heart of what this legal system is really all about, is that it's it's a pyramid Some scheme. Some more those or under the law. Yeah. Those that make the laws break the laws. Like, the president cannot be investigated for murder. He can't, you know, he does and forget about his tax returns, like, but he just get away with anything. And so he, he's going to make that argument in front of the Supreme Court, and, you know, We've made a million arguments in our in our why we shouldn't have to comply with the grand jury on a legal in a legal battle and because we're gonna fight it that way as well. But it's really just a matter of, of principle. Like I'm not I didn't sign, you know, any social contract with these people. I'm not obligated to testify. You know, I'm not obligated it's 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 a matter of personal freedom. Like there's no such Exactly. You were you already accepted the the the, the initial charge anyway. Right. So, and so I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to wait as long as it takes. Even though I've done my time, I should have been released last week. Right, and it's exactly. been eight years on this bid. Like, like, release me, release me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've done the time, and now it's it's obvious their motivation too. It's punitive. They want to make examples of you and Chelsea, who are you exactly. know, who are bold enough to speak up against you know injustices, atrocities, inequities. Yeah. They're bullshit. So that's what we get going on. We're going to go into more detail about the grand jury stuff in our next episode. Uh, I'll talk about, you know, what, what what were they asking about. I'll just kind of set the scene because this is really surreal. It's really surreal. Yeah, um, they're very bizarre. And we'll go into, like, kind of a legal explanation about my appeals and all that stuff, uh, which was denied by, in the appeals court. So we'll go into all that. We're calling this next section of the show On the Noise. On the Noise. On the Noise. Because that is what guards yell at inmates when they want them to shut up and get in line. But we're taking it back, and we're not shutting up about all the fucked up stuff that's going on in the news, in the streets, in the corridors of our lives. So what is going on in the world that people need to talk about? Well, I heard that they're legalizing weed in Chicago. <laughs> that's right. All of Illinois, state of Illinois, starting January 1st, is going to be completely legal. 
Um, and that means possession. That means it's going to become available to buy for recreational purposes. It has already been for medical purposes. And uh, that is going to be a major shift. Hooray! Huzzah! Yeah, now, now that's, there's already dozens of states uh, where it's been tried with success, you know, not just for what the government's concerned, for economical reasons, but the reality is that, it, you know, marijuana is, uh, a lot of people end up doing a lot of time, even in the feds. Uh, it's really interesting in states where, like, in California and Colorado, you know, where it's legal on a state level, on a federal level, it still criminalizes the Schedule One substance. So you're going, you find people who are serving time, like in Michigan, for example, as in Milan, Michigan, there are people that are serving time for uh, for marijuana uh, offenses in the feds in a state where it's legal, in Michigan. Long, long, unbelievably right. long sentences too. People are still serving time. Yeah. Unbelievable. Because it's uh, illegal on a federal level. Wow. Maybe you could talk about what's going on in Chicago, though. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's long been decriminalized, even though people have been arrested for it. But now there's specifics in the law that are probably similar to a lot of other states have legalized that you're allowed to, you know, smoke in your privacy, your own home, not on the street. They're treating it like alcohol. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing that happened in the city of Chicago is that the city council, specifically the Black Caucus, has uh, decided to, has voted to postpone the, the sale of recreational cannabis in Cook County until July for reasons of inequity. And it turns out the only people who have been licensed to sell recreationally in the city of Chicago are white men. And, you know, after the decades of the drug war ravaging uh, communities of color with incarceration, filling the prisons up, doubling the prison population, we have Pritzker claiming that Illinois is the gold standard for equity in the uh, cannabis legalization so we have here a protest yeah I, I agree that it's a problem because uh you know the communities that is most targeted by the war on drugs are aren't going to be uh receiving the the most benefits or can't get in on the ground floor of the uh the commercialization of marijuana i was reading in the paper that they had like a lottery system uh, in place in the city of chicago as far as which uh which districts are going to be, uh, which licenses are going to go to what companies in each district. Um, and the article said it was, it was overwhelmingly uh, white men, yeah. you know, millionaires who already have, like, you know, established businesses uh, in other states and stuff like that or are, yeah. or are affiliated with, like, big pharmaceutical or big tobacco or whatever. Um, Capitalism. Getting in uh, and taking up all the licenses. Right. And so I think it's, uh, the Black Caucus in Chicago is, like, making a, re- a really good point. And so hopefully uh, this issue. Now I have a question. I'm not really sure if it's 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 still decriminalized as of the first. It's, we're That's talking correct. about it's, the, it's actually the city of Chicago. Every uh, other other counties are actually trying to prevent cannabis from being sold recreationally in their county entirely. They're trying to overrule at the local level, at yeah. the county level, you know, the sale. So I can't speak to anything that's going on in that. Although I've read DuPage County, the town where the, the county we're from is actually one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah Naperville and stuff like that. Of, uh, there's <laughs> mobilizing people to pack the court, uh, city halls and pass yeah, like their right. own local ordinances preventing the sale of marijuana. I mean, like, you can't, it's, you, you know, which way the, you know, the direction that is going here. Like, but, uh, one, yeah. one issue I want to point out is that, like, like what I described earlier, is that on the federal level, uh, it's still criminalized. Uh, it's the Schedule One substance. So people on probation, um, you know, are still going to be drug tested and can be violated if they fail a drug do, do you test think, for do you marijuana. Think it's people, do you think that's people who are 
are on state probation, and do you think that uh, they're drug tested for federal? They can be done up for federal reasons. I'm not sure. Um, it's like uh, I know that in some types of state uh, probation conditions, they prohibit you from drinking. Uh, for example, like if you have like DUIs and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, like for example, I've uh, I have been convicted of like a marijuana possession of drug paraphernalia, like I described earlier. But uh, you know, my federal cases, of course, not a drug charge. Um, yet, uh, and neither was my first uh, federal case where I did two years and I was on federal probation and I was drug tested. They had me go to like this color wheel thing. Uh, every day I have to call a number, if you remember. I was going through this for a while. <laughs> um, hmm. I had to call a number and it would read a color and, and if they read my color, I'd have to go in and take a drug test that day. So that's like another way that they like kind of have me because a lot of these places are really hard. That sounds like such a dystopian game. Just if your color is drawn, you have to test. Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult for people who, you know, have limited means of transportation or working jobs. And yeah, like, don't what are you doing job? To... You have to, like, sorry, can't do it. I have to go in today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was lucky enough that I worked in downtown, and the federal probation office was downtown. So it was, I guess, relatively easy for me. But, you know, in other places, it would be really difficult. So, yeah, even in a state like Illinois where they legalize marijuana, you know, people who are on federal probation will be the only people <laughs> who aren't allowed to smoke, uh, yeah. which is bullshit. <laughs> Well, but, uh, fucking uh, white millionaires are raking in the cash on the sales of it. Hopefully they'll uh, they'll consider decriminalizing and uh, exploring the use of uh, substances like magic mushrooms or, or ecstasy as well. I huh. think they're doing some tests as far as like PTSD or... Um, exactly, exactly. You know what, I believe yeah. that is, uh, they're prescribing for it in California, I believe San Francisco, I think I read, microdosing psilocybin mushrooms. So I mean, yeah. after years of criminalizing it, we better see some equity. Right. We better see some reparations for the communities most affected, right. you know? Yeah, and they just need to let these people out of prison. Like, it's hard to believe that people are still doing years in, in federal prison for marijuana offenses in states where it's actually illegal. Like, are you serious? Like, let them go. Let them go. So, yeah, and again, know. it's like one of those situations where, like, the, on the federal level, you know, Trump's Department of Justice is, you know, especially against states like California where he's, like, beefing with the governor that type of thing. They, like they've they've staged multiple federal raids of uh, grow operations in, in you know Northern California and stuff like that. And it's legal in California. So right. So and, and unfortunately, I don't think we're going like to see any. Competition. And they're not. They're not. They're probably not going to do anything under this administration either, as far as fixing this this issue with the federal criminalization. And really, and, and I don't. I want to point out that it's not just marijuana. That that they, you know, we're not just advocating just the uh, decriminalization of marijuana for that matter. I, I think that the real problem here is is the criminalization of any people as a whole. Like nobody is illegal. Like. They, they need to stop treating, like, drug addiction in situations like usage of narcotics or, or crack or whatever like that. To stop incarcerating people is not the solution. Like, locking people yeah, in human sentences is making it more uh, difficult. And I did 14 months of the drug program uh, in federal prison, and, and I could tell you, uh, I could go on and on and on about it. Imprisoning people is never the solution. Uh, locking people up for, for drug addiction is, is not going to solve the underlying issues here. And, and, of course, I know that there are also now lawsuits against, like, the biggest dope dealers in the world, the pharmaceutical companies who, you know, mass-produce opiates and over-prescribe and get people hooked and cause this most recent opiate epidemic in the first place. So um, we are organizing a noise demo for you and Chelsea in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, Dear Eve Anti in the Prison noise demos for those on the outside. Pretty fucking lively with buckets, banners, music, marches, sound systems, fireworks, sometimes even a bit ironically, even a rest or two. So, what is it like on the inside? People have organized a few noise demos for you when you were in NBC New York when you were locked up. Can you, uh, can people hear shit? What are people doing on the inside? Yeah, uh, certainly uh, people love it, man. People love seeing that people care about them. You know, we, we spend a lot of time looking out the windows and when we're, you know, at, like these downtown jails, like the MCCs and stuff like that. And so we see people walk by and we're just kind of like dazed and wondering what life, what going through people's minds and stuff like that. Oh, uh, yeah, they have, I've been to a couple noise demos, you know, when I was in the world. You know, I said MCC, I remember, remember at one time people were like throwing cards. They do like yeah, playing cards. Like they, snowing cards, yeah. Yeah, the cards fell out the window and they're landing while we were having the rally and they're falling down. So it was like kind of cool to see like, that we were being heard from people on the inside. People do things like turn the lights on and off, um, stuff like that, right? And, of course, like less than two months later, I'd be at, in an, inside of MCC in Chicago. But, yeah, they did the demos as well at MCC New York. I believe that in most major cities, you know, in New Year's, I think it's kind of a, a regular thing now. I mean, it's a thing around the world, especially in places like Greece, I think, right? So one thing I've noticed is that people people remember these things for years, man. Like, in fact, when I was at Oklahoma City just most recently on my way here uh, from FCM Memphis, uh, you know, it's funny, that, you know, because the Feds is like a small world, man. It's like it's like a big state system. You run into people all the time. It's done time with the different joints, right? So I actually ran into, like, several people I was with at uh, MCC New York, you know, eight years earlier, right? And they were like, wow, I remember you, man. You, hey, you're Durham. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember when you was, uh, you, you all were having that, that uh, protest outside the jail. And I was like, wow, this this individual, that was so long ago, right? But, man, people people really remember that type of thing. And you really never know the consequences of, of, of an action like that. You know, people uh, might be inspired. People might feel strengthened to know that people are out there uh, that care about them, man, that, that think about them, uh, especially, like, you know, on, like, New Year's Eve. And on holidays, people take it very seriously, very somber sometimes. Uh, yeah. Of course, you also never know how the authorities are going to react either. Uh, but it is what it is. It's all part of the experience. But uh, I can't wait to see it, though. It's cool. I appreciate that people are coming. You know, if, if you're not able to come to, you know, say this one, there's most likely something going on in the city near you, probably like, you know, New York, Chicago, or LA, or something like that. Uh, and if not, you can certainly organize your own, you know. But, uh, yeah, there's, like, a federal building nearby, like, if if you do decide to, like, march. There's actually a really cool little plaza, like, kind of, like, park. It's very small, but it's enough to know that's a big enough for people to right across the street from the federal. And that's, like, pretty good, like, short, short marching distance to here. Well, that'll be the plan. We have, There's a Facebook page for it. We're going to tweet about it. So uh, we'll have a, a location specific to where we meet. So please check, uh, you know, the support committee out for Jeremy. And uh, so we'll see you in Virginia, and um, you know, or wherever we're at, we'll be outside jails. You know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very inspired and strengthened that people are paying attention to this case with uh, with me and Chelsea. But it's not just about me and Chelsea. You know, a lot of people here are going through it as well. It's it's really about all prisoners and prisons in general. You know, I I'm asked a lot, what can what can people do to help? You know, and yes, sending letters something that is really important. Sending books really important. You know, just you can certainly get involved with like your local anarchist black cross or uh, books or prisoner group. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you really never know the consequences. You might send a letter, you might send a book, and, and it, people will appreciate it. People will remember that for years. But the main thing is is to take action. Like, there's only so much. I'm I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm making right. it. I don't care how long it takes. Like, but 
main thing is like I want to. There's things that I would like to do in the world that I can't. Like I, I wish I could participate in all the actions that are going on right now, but I can't. So, you know, it really is cool to hear about people who are. I mean, if you have, if you have, we got to do everything we can. So take action, you know. And so it, it brings me great pleasure every time I read a newspaper or I get a letter or I like see on the news that somebody was uh, that there was some big action or that there's some big protest or that there's. I mean, it's going up around the world. It's going up. You know, Iraq, right. Chile, to, to Iraq, uh, to Lebanon, you know, and uh, it's cool. It's cool to see people, you know, <laughs> giving it their all, you know, because we can't do yeah. it. But, you know, for everyone out there, you know, there's a hundred of us in here. So, yeah. take action. Well, we're doing it, and soon you'll be amongst us. So. Yep. Sooner or later. Yeah. Inspiring words. Wow. Hey, you nailed it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they nailed it, right? Think about the rest of the episode then, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, that's pretty much it. That's uh, our whole show. All right, uh, this has been Jeremy from Prison Nation. I'll talk to you all next time. This is Jason here in Chicago talking with my brother. I'll see you next time. Win trouble! trouble.